Well, it's good to be with you this morning. I have a deep affection for your leadership, uh, for Lance and for Nelson and for Rebecca. What Nelson did not share was that the first time that we met, um, I was introducing them to cocktails. Um, I come from a tradition of teetotalers. Uh, my first drink of alcohol was at 22, and uh, somehow I've made up for some lost time because uh, the story goes, um, I've made a, a deal with God. I don't know if you make deals with God. Uh, mine work out perfectly every time. Uh, but uh, the deal is this. I will be a minister on this side if I get to be a bartender on that side uh, for uh, a number of reasons. Um, I feel like that bartenders might be the closest thing uh, to priests in our present-day context. Uh, they receive confession. Uh, occasionally, they offer absolution. Um, and uh, sometimes that they're just more in tune with the spirits uh, than some preachers are. And so um, you'll hear a little bit more of my story. Um, and so, yeah, so Nelson and Lance and I uh, have shared and raised a few glasses in celebration, um, shared and raised a few glasses in consolation uh, for the heartache and heartbreak of life and, and the people that we love. Uh, but ultimately, uh, there is no greater place to be for me than with the people of God. Um, and as we will move through uh, the service, um, we will come to the table and we will eventually raise uh, the one cup, the one glass uh, that is raised above all, uh, both in, in consolation and in understanding of what uh, the cost was, uh, but also in celebration and in toast and in looking forward to uh, the great banquet that awaits. So it's really wonderful to be with you this morning. Uh, I hope to just pass along some wisdom that's been shared with me over the years. Uh, I would like to extend an invitation for those of you who have been a part of the, the series these last 12 weeks um, as you've been looking at the Apostles' Creed to maybe uh, turn the gym, as it would be, uh, to look at another angle of this word believe. Um, I'd like to share a few reflections, ask a few questions, and then we'll end with a shared practice together. The teaching text this morning as we were listening, uh, there was the Psalm 52, which David's on quite a tirade about Saul, but then he comes and he says one thing that could easily be missed, and he says, I will trust in your unfailing love. And sometimes it's easier to read that than to live that. And we also hear about Mary and Martha, and we hear that Mary has chosen the one thing, and what is that one thing? And I believe that one thing is about trust. It's about belief. And so, I'm looking forward to, like I said, passing on a few things that I believe that um, have been entrusted to me and I hope that are encouraging to you both individually and collectively. But I'd love to begin just with a moment of stillness, um, of silence, and, and attempts whatever you bring into the room, all of your faith and all of your trust and all of your belief and all of your questions and all of your doubt and all of your skepticism ought to be present to the one who is most present to us. And so if you will just... Uh, take a moment, and in whatever words and ways you know how, um, ask the Father and the Son and the Spirit to be present to you in this moment. God, we believe that you are the ground of all being that it is in you and through you that we live and move and breathe. And so may your word and your life and your breath come and be in us and among us. Pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen. The doorway into anything meaningful in life is trust. I first hear Father Vince say these words in 2004 when I am on a silent retreat for three days with him. 
I'm sitting in a small room of a group of men, most of the men in their 60s. Father Vince at this point is in his 70s. Over the last 15 years, I have been on several retreats with him. And every time I arrive, he smiles, this very gentle smile, and he says, it's good to see you. Why are you here? You know I'm going to say the same thing. And I smile and say, it's good to see you, Father Vince. I need to hear the same thing. Fifteen years after that first retreat, I have found Sacred Heart, this retreat center that's located in the foothills of Sedalia, just about an hour south of Denver, to be a place in which I feel at home and at ease. I don't always feel at ease um, in some places. And it's at least ironic that the place in which I have come from that I feel is as safe and as at home in this space, which is Sacred Heart Jesuit Retreat Center. Father Vince is a Jesuit priest. The SJ is for the Society of Jesus, of which he has pledged his life and has been a Jesuit priest for over 60 years. The reason that that is unlikely is because I am the son of a Southern Baptist preacher, and I'm not sure what that means in your context, but in my context, it primarily means that you are known what you are against. Um, I have the misfortune of having the denomination that boycotted Disneyland at some point, and so in some small way of getting back at my uh, childhood, I take my daughter to Disneyland every three years just to remind myself where I stand on such issues. But I was raised in, in a church and a tradition that not only believed that other traditions were wrong, but that other churches were wrong. Uh, somehow our Baptist church, amongst all the Baptist churches, was the only Baptist church that had gotten it right, and we were all hoping that the other Baptist churches would lean just a little bit more our way and understand that we, in fact, were right. And for the rest of the denominations, the millions and billions of people had somehow gotten it wrong, and at some point they were just waiting on that special knowledge that we had been given, and this small little legalistic, right-winged, incredibly, uh, there's other words, uh, that uh, unkind um, tradition that I was raised in. And, and so for me to find myself being guided by a Jesuit priest was unlikely. And yet over the decades of listening to the other voices and to the other traditions, what I've found is that there is wisdom. And through some of the most difficult seasons of my life, the tradition that I came from was the most unhelpful. And the traditions that have been the most helpful were those that may have felt the furthest away from what I had grown up with. What has guided Father Vince is ultimately what I believe, why I've been drawn to him. Father Vince is known as a Johannian disciple, which is a fancy way of saying that he has given his life and his work to studying the Gospel of John. He has singularly studied the Gospel of John for over 60 years. And so when you study a text for 60 years, your insight, and your ability to see the nuance and the beauty and the complexity of a text is remarkable. But far beyond just the cognitive knowledge that Father Vince has of the gospel according to John, it's the way that the way and the practice of Jesus has formed and has shaped his life so deeply that it's created this foundation for who he trusts God to be, who he knows Jesus to be, and who he believes he is uh, that I'm most needed. And so we're going to spend just a wee bit of time in the gospel of John. The two texts, John 6, 29, it says, Jesus answered the work of God is this, 
to believe in the one he has sent. If you've ever been curious what's God's work, uh, John spells it out fairly clearly for us here. The work of God is this, that you would believe. John 20, 31, as if pulling the curtain back a wee bit, John says, these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, this word believe is pistua in Greek, and it means to trust. It's fairly quickly understood that it's a nuanced word that means to have faith, to believe, to trust. But I believe the richness of the word that is heard by the original audience could be lost on us, or it definitely was lost on me. Because I understood belief to be primarily a cognitive, cerebral activity. But when we talk about trust, we understand that we feel something different than when we use the word believe. We talk about trust, we understand that there is some sort of head experience of what we know, but we also have some sense in the intelligence center of our body, what we sense when we sense that this is a trusting environment or we sense that we need to be on our guard. And then our heart, we understand when we know that we can trust someone. When there's that a relational connection, what we feel towards someone. And so Father Vince encouraged us to do the small practice of rereading the book of John and everywhere it said the word believe, begin to read the word trust. And then a couple of years later, he said, well, you've done that for a couple of years. How about you write out the Gospel of John and fill in the word trust everywhere that it says the word believe. And you begin to understand that trust and that belief are richer and deeper than a cognitive exercise of simply stating or saying words that you hold to be cognitively true, but they are embodied. Now, trust may be a familiar exercise to anyone who is walking across a bridge before, you all seem to have, like, lovely bridges here, um, some a bit more uh, stable than others. Uh, my daughter and I have thoroughly enjoyed all of the bridges, one of which we went to was up in Squamish, and we rode the Sea to Sky Gondola. It may be a completely tourist thing, just give me grace, I'm not from here, so it's okay. Um, I'm just supporting the local economy, all right? So we go, and uh, we're sold on the website that this will be the best views in Squamish. Uh, Lance tells me, like, if you're going to go to one place so that you can feel like a Canadian, you should go up to the Squamish. You know, don't just stay in the city. Um, and so we book our tickets, and we travel up there, and we get on the gondola. And if you've never been, it's lovely. Uh, and you go past, like, this first little mountain, and then you're supposed to just keep climbing in altitude, and the views will be spectacular. That is, unless the fog or rain or whatever it is that it is that has rolled in. And we crest the first part of the gondola, and it's white. Uh, and so I shoot a video of my daughter, and she's like, to this side you will see white, and to this side you will see white, and to this side you will see white, and to this side you will see white. These are the best views in all of Canada. And so, so we take the gondola to the top, and we get off, and there's a little suspension bridge there. And... Uh, the lovely thing about this magical experience now is that you cannot see actually from one side of the suspension bridge to the other because the clouds and the fog and all have rolled in. And I tell Kenna, well, we're going to walk across this thing. And she looks at me like, no, we're not. <laughs> because we have to trust. And it's not just the fact that I've read to her online that this bridge can hold three elephants. 
I'm not sure why bridges always use elephants, but there's something that's like in your head. It's like, well, if I can put three elephants on the bridge, then surely I can go out on the bridge, right? Not sure if elephants, I'm sure elephants are not native uh, to Vancouver, but nonetheless, or if they've ever put even an elephant on the bridge, but nonetheless, in our heads, we understand what we have read to be true, that this bridge is trustworthy. But our bodies feel something different when you take the first step on a suspension bridge, right? You begin to tense up, or her hand definitely tenses up on my hand. And maybe the most important one is that level of trust between the two of us as she looks back at me and has to trust that daddy loves her. And I'm not going to lead her into a place in which there is harm. We have moved from a belief in a suspension bridge to an experience of a suspension bridge to a relational trust in a moment. And all of our intelligence centers are now working together. And we walk across the bridge, and by the time we leave that morning, Kenna is not grasping my hand any longer now. She's saying, Daddy, I'm going to do it by myself. You wait here on this side. I'm going to walk all the way across and back. She has, begun to, she has begun to trust. And, and children know something, something in Kohate about, about trust. They, they understand places and people that are safe. My earliest memories as a child are in that church in Oklahoma that I was raised in where my father first ministered. I heard countless sermons there about believing, but for some reason it felt like they were always directed only at my head. They were cognitive equations that were always being spelled out about sin and death, about heaven and hell. And although as a small child I could understand cognitively the equations that were being spelled out, it took a long time for that to move the 12 to 18 inches down into more of a relational trust in my heart. But I did trust that the church was a safe place, which was helpful because my father would lock off the building at the end of the morning. And so I would go off into the nursery and play by myself as my father would go around and close the doors and lock up the church. And I remember specifically one Sunday as I was playing in the nursery, uh, rearranging the dishes that had been misarranged by all the other children. I was stacking everything back uh, where it needed to be. You can figure out where those OCD tendencies come in early in life when you're rearranging the nursery's uh, dishes. So I'm looking out the, the window, and I can remember it, probably one of my earliest memories. I see my father walk out the side door of the, the auditorium of the church, and he locks that door, and he walks over uh, to our brown station wagon. Uh, it has beautiful wood paneling on the side of it, and uh, he gets in the station wagon, and he drives out of the parking lot. And I'm recognizing like I am in the nursery in the church alone. And there is a sense of I am completely safe all as well. Uh, my father did not have the same experience, I imagine, because not long after I see the uh, brown station wagon with wood paneling pull back into the parking lot and he is going over the curbs and the medians and uh, frantically fumbling with his keys to try to get back into the church. And I said, Dad, what are you worried about, right? I am in my father's house. Uh, so... Uh, and in the most surreal experiences, uh, this spring, I returned to that church and uh, officiate my father's funeral. I stood in the pulpit where I remember him standing, and I look down and I see my daughter sitting on the same wooden pew that I had sat on 40 years before. And I am given the opportunity to share words and wisdom at my father's funeral about knowing Jesus, 
and about trusting who Jesus is and who Jesus says that we are. And I understand that not everybody in this room was raised in a church and felt that church was the most safe place on the planet. My guess is that there is a number of you in the room who have questions in your head or experiences in your body or relational wounds in your heart that the church and the idea of a gathered community of saints is far from a safe place. And I believe that I can speak on behalf of the leadership and the staff at Artisan and say thank you for being here. The amount of courage to walk into spaces in which you have been wounded by is incredible. And so thank you for being here. And I hope that you would find this place as I have found the leadership of this place to be honest and humble and patient and kind. And my prayer is that you would continue to consider exploring uh, what trust in God and a faith community could look like. It seems to be that we live in a moment in which uh, we may be at the very pinnacle of self-actualization. There are so many voices that are telling us uh, that we should trust ourselves. Um, I'm not sure how uh, dominant Oprah is on the landscape of Canada, but um, beyond the self-actualization of America, it feels like there is an Oprahfication of America. And, and primarily it's that everything is going to be okay if you just believe in you enough. And yet, books and studies continue to be written about how anxious we are and how uncertain we are, and how unsettled we are, and how untrusting we are. And into this, a uh, pastor by the name of Eugene Peterson speaks, we are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but we, because we trust that God is sure of us. We do not trust because of our security in ourselves, we trust because of who God is and God says we are. That first retreat where Father Vince is teaching through the Gospel of John, he begins with a question. He says, who is the beloved? Who is the one that Jesus loved? And I, sitting there, wanting to kind of make my way amongst this small group of 60-year-old men, think about raising my hand and boldly saying, well, it is the Apostle John, the son of Zebedee, and giving my biblical backstory of knowledge. And after just a brief pause, Father Vince replies in a gentle voice, if you think it is John, it's because you do not yet trust that you are the beloved. You are the one who Jesus loves. You are the beloved. You are the one who Jesus loves. And that is what I've been going back 15 years to hear. If you sit with Father Vince long enough, you begin to believe that the Gospel of John may be the greatest work of literature ever written. That quite possibly the reason that the one who wrote the Gospel of John wrote the one who Jesus loved was not to be self-inflated about his position with Jesus 
but it was to be a doorway in which we were to be able to read ourselves into the story. That you are the one lying next to Jesus at his final meal. That you are the one who is running to see if the impossible could be true. That you are the one walking alongside him after the resurrection. That it's written to invite us into a narrative and immerse our senses into a story and to lead us to a point in which John says, these are written that you may trust, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And this is, I believe, Jesus was saying that Mary had understood glimpses of. This is the one thing to trust. The words are written that you may trust, that the work of God is this, that you may trust. That trusting is actually the way that we follow and practice the way of Jesus, and that trusting a full and deep and rich and abiding life is found only in this. And so how do we begin to live this out? The frame that Father Vince offered that he had followed for the last 60 years to remain rooted, he said, was three things. Give yourself to a text, give yourself to a practice, and give yourself to a community. I know of no one who has given themselves to a text the way that Father Vince has given himself to the Gospel of John. But I, inspired by his example, have decided to give myself to the text of the Gospels, reading through all four of them on a consistent basis so that I find that that text and those stories are my home. Give myself to a practice. I follow a rule of life, understanding and believing and trusting that rules actually provide and create freedom and creativity. They do not, in fact, limit it or stifle it. The most impossible thing for an artist to do is to begin. Of any genre, of any medium, you have to choose a canvas, you have to choose an instrument. Everyone is a great artist until you pick a canvas. And then you begin to understand the depth and the challenge of creating, and yet it is in that first moment of picking an instrument, of picking a canvas, that you begin to create. And so my practice is a rule of life, and the community that I've given myself to, by God's grace, I've been a part of the same community for 26 years. We trust in these words, the writings, not only of Jesus, but in the church, the Apostles' Creed, that we understand that God invites us to make his word our home that we trust in the tangible expressions and the service of the church, the service of the church to this beautiful and broken city that you live, and that you trust to a community, that you give yourself to a community, that you give yourself to relationships that will require forgiveness and grace and love. And so my question for you is, which of those comes most easily? My guess is either the head or the hands, the embodied sense, or the heart comes easily for you to trust. And then the second question is, is there's probably one of those that is most difficult, where you most need help. The doorway into anything meaningful in life is trust. Think about all of the wonderful, meaningful significant moments of your life. Asking somebody out on a first date, applying for a job, making a friend, walking into the doors of a church, 
walking up to a communion table. Every meaningful moment in your life has been because you chose to step through a doorway of trust. And so how do we begin to build our lives around trusting who Jesus says he is and who he says we are? On the very first retreat I'm on, Father Vince passes around a piece of paper that I believe we're going to pass out this morning. Yeah, so if we can do that. He, he hands out this piece of paper, and it has selected verses from the book of John, wisdom of Jesus from the book of John. And he invites us into a practice that he participates in and leads, which is to simply read and pray and breathe these texts with him. That in reading and hearing and trusting, we would believe. I adopt this practice as a part of my rule of life. It's how my day begins before the sun comes up, before I can get my day wrong in a million ways, I light a candle, I make a cup of coffee, and for a few moments I breathe in and pray and trust these things to be the most true, not only about who I am, but more importantly about who God is, about who he says that you are. And so I'm going to lead us through this practice this morning for just a moment. The word trust has replaced the word believe in the text on the piece of paper in front of you. And the other word that's been replaced is the word spirit has been replaced with the word breath. So we understand the Hebrew ruach to be the Holy Spirit or the holy breath of God. And for me, the Holy Spirit was one of the many things that my childhood tradition carried with a fair amount of baggage. And so for me to begin to understand that it was actually the very breath of God, the life of God, that Jesus was breathing on his friends and his followers, and it was the very breath of God that I'm invited in to breathe each morning. And so I'm going to ask you to just, as best as you can, be present. Take a deep breath. We'll pray these together and breathe these in together as we conclude to this part of our service this morning. What are you looking for? Come and see. This is the work of God, that you trust in the one he sent. If you are thirsty, come to me. Let the one who trusts in me drink. If you follow me, you will not be in the dark. You will have the light of life. Make my word your home. Unless I wash you, you have nothing in common with me. Don't let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give you. I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me and you will bear much fruit. As the Father has loved me, I love you. Live in my love. I want you to have my joy and have it to the full. Receive my holy breath. Blessed are those who do not see, yet trust. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Amen. This is the invitation. The one thing that Mary got right, the one thing that the psalmist writes about, that I would trust in the unfailing love of God. To believe and trust in the one that God has sent. My hope and my prayer is that what has been entrusted to me is now given to you. That you would entrust it to not only yourself, but to others. In our prayers this morning, struck by the beauty of the sound of the children in the room. When you experience the passing of a parent, you recognize that in some ways you're next in line. And you also recognize that those behind you are further along than they once were. My daughter and the faith community that we're a part of, this is the only church that she's ever known. Thankfully, I have not yet locked her in the building, so that's going well. But more often than not, my prayers are not only for the church that I attend and participate and lead, but my prayers are that we would lead and live in a way in which we are trusting and entrusting the traditions and the history of following and practicing the way of Jesus to our children. So for those of you with children in the room, let me be one more reminder to let you know the most important thing you will ever do is model practicing the way of Jesus for your children. And for those of you without children in the room, let me most importantly say this to you as a man who finds himself in the unmarried category that the evangelical church has often not had a lot to say or value about your place and your role. My daughter's heroes in our church are single men and single women who love her deeply as their own. And so each and every one of you has the opportunity to entrust uh, what you have been given uh, to those little balls of energy and life and breath that run around here every week. Father Vince is the first in a long line of saints, mentors that I have been blessed by. I wanted to read a benediction, a blessing from one of the others. His name is Frederick Beekner. He's an author and 
pastor who is nearing the end of his run, keeps writing books saying that it's going to be his last, and he keeps sticking around, and so he has to apologize in the preface. I thought the last one was going to be the last one, but this is absolutely the last one. He writes this. Believe that the good news that we are loved is better than we ever dared hope, and that to believe in that good news, to live out of it and toward it, to be in love with that good news is of all glad things in this world the gladdest thing of all. Trust that the good news that we are loved is better than we ever dared hope. And to trust in that good news, to live out of it and toward it, to be in love with that good news is of all glad things in this world the gladdest thing of all. Amen.